The future is a hefty responsibility and not one that we take lightly. But then taking things lightly has never been what hefty is about. That's why we've created the Hefty Renew program that turns hard to recycle plastics into valuable resources like park benches and building materials. To participate, simply fill up an orange Hefty Renew bag with accepted items, tie it up, and drop it in with your regular recycling. That's it. It's that easy. It's time to rethink recycling with Renew. Particular valued resources may vary by geography. More info available at heftyrenew.com. You're listening to the Best Morning Routine Ever podcast, the show that proves no one stumbles upon success ever. With your host, Lou Need. Every Mondays and Thursdays, we deliver cold heart evidence behind the power of a robust morning routine. Get ready to be transformed by the renewal of your mind. Hello, morning enthusiasts. Welcome to the Best Morning Routine Ever podcast. I am your host, Dr. Lumid, and today I have the honor of introducing a very special guest to the show, Kelly Thornton. Now, he started his entrepreneurial journey super young, and we're talking about started out painting houses and then off to college using that funding to pay for school, which is super smart at such a young age. No 18, 19-year-olds thinking about that, but Kelly was ahead of the game, and he met his business partner also in college and then started um, T. Handley, and so packaging company as well as other different ones that he's developed over the years and now his latest adventure is actually a, a skincare system that he has so looking forward to diving into his many many ventures so with no further ado kelly welcome to the show thanks dr lanid i'm so happy to be here and your skin looks amazing thank you <laughs> hydration hydrate 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 you won't believe how much water i'm drinking day yeah. in it really helps. And you as the expert can can talk to that um, as well. But thank you very much. I do um, take care of it. Let, let's talk about, you know, I, I just gave a brief bio about your journey, but like this fire has been instilling you for a while to kind of uh, pursue the entrepreneur path, but also s- kind of control your own destiny, control yeah. how much money you make, what time you spend your time, all that good stuff. Uh, it's been ingrained in a very young age. Yeah, I mean, I joked yesterday. Um, someone asked me about why I, you know, wanted to be an entrepreneur, and and I kind of joked and said, "Well, I'm possibly because I'm a control freak." I know that's a bad answer. I mean, but there is there is some element yeah, to, to wanting to control your own destiny, right. and um, and I think like some people, you know, are just wired to to kind of want to create um, and and to grow and develop and to nurture business, you know, a business. And that was something that really was ingrained on me early on in my career. And like you said, thank you very much for that intro, by the way, I was, I painted, I lived, I was uh, living in New England at the time. So um, if you're familiar with New England, I think you went to school there. I mean, it's, everything is clapboard Mm -hmm. and wood houses and old colonial and everything needed to be painted. So I I was very fortunate to have an enormously successful painting business early on. And it really helped me. It helped me graduate from college debt-free. It really helped me, you know, with my relationship with my wife and us getting started and being able to, you know, start up, get a house early on and things Mm -hmm. like that. It was really just an amazing, you know, part of my journey. It's really fascinating how much coming out of school debt-free really sets you on a trajectory that is so far better than your um, counterparts or even your peers because you don't have to worry about paying down sixty, thirty thousand dollar loan because you could use that as a down payment. 
Um, yeah. It's all about that gap. And, sure. You know, yeah, I mean, that's a really, and to some degree, it's even a controversial point. It's a very important point um, for people to know. I mean, and and there is a lot of conversation and, and you have a phenomenal education and congrats for all that you've accomplished too. There is, you know, that conversation around what is, you know, the value of that education and spending, you know, a tremendous amount of money to get an education now. And what does that do for you in your lifelong earning? I still am a firm believer that getting a great education, you know, is critical to a person's development and also to their success. So I am a strong advocate of that, but, um, you know, with the cost of schools these days, it is really, you really need to think about, you know, how that can, how that debt can impact you long-term. You know, I didn't realize how fortunate wasn't really was my father. My father would give me, and, and school was not as expensive as it is now. Mm-hmm. Um, my father would give me the tuition bill and say, I, I need a check for half of the tuition before you started. So half a room and board, half of the tuition for the year. And, you know, I just was kind of, I, I was a hard worker early on. So I was more, you know, interested in making money and having a job and than I was just, you know, kind of messing around and getting in trouble. So, you know, I was kind of a very motivated by work and and I, you know, had chance to be a painter and, you know, I did that for a couple of years. And then I started my own business with about five other people. And, you know, and, and that what made me feel great about that is that it also allowed me to help other people make some money during their college as well. Mm-hmm. So I think like we all benefited from it, but getting out of college, my wife um, came from a family uh, in Connecticut that uh, was an immigrant family and they didn't have a ton of money. There was eight mm-hmm. children. There was not a ton of money there. So yeah. it really also helped me with her. She had a little bit of debt and help keep us prepare for a wedding and be able to pay for that, you know, out of my wife and I's pocket. So the leg up that that gave me was tremendous. Yeah. And you paid for your wedding too. too. Yeah. (laughs) That's great. And you had that, that need to build your own. Although you spent 20 years, you had 20 years in corporate America um, after starting that. So you started your own business, uh, made some income and then you went to, you know, that's what you do, right? They tell you go to school, graduate, go go to corporate America. I feel like everybody kind of falls into that path, whether we want to or not, but eventually our passion drives us right out of there. Exactly. I mean, look, everybody's path's different. And I will say that no path is linear. You know, mm-hmm. I mean, I think there's a lot of different um, twists and turns in everybody's career. You know, there's a lot of benefits from going to corporate America. I, I kind of have the sense that like the kind of this consensus out there right now is like, you know, entrepreneurs is kind of a cool thing, a cool path. And corporate America is not a cool path. I don't know if that's true or not, or just my kind of how I feel, but there is a lot of value to go to a corporation. Um, you learn about business acumen, you know, yeah. you learn about how business is conducted, how you should be conducting yourself. You learn about all different types of things in career paths and mentorship. And hopefully you'll have an opportunity to mentor other people. You see how teams work together, but you also see a lot of the kind of underbelly of corporations, right? A lot of dog eat dog world. Everybody's mm-hmm. kind of trying to, you know, get over to top of someone else to get that position because as you get higher and higher in a corporation, there's fewer and fewer opportunities. So it's, you know, it's really challenging. So, um, but I think it does teach you a lot about business, uh, especially if you're in the right company. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And I concur. You learn how about leadership too, having different kinds of boss and then you learn, okay, I'm never going to be like this kind yes. of boss, like this person. And these are the skill sets I'm going to embody. I'm going to take with me. So that was one of the biggest things that I learned in corporate America as well is how to become an effective, a better leader, transformative yep. versus transactional. 
Absolutely. So I, I'm, I'm very happy for those years. I think it were, they were fantastic years. I did see things that made me frustrated. And mm-hmm. I think, um, you know, doctor, I was, you know, I, I kind of looked around at my business and I looked around at the, what I was producing for the company that I was working for and looked at some of my peers. And I really, I, I was kind of frustrated by the lack of motivation that some other people had at the company. And that really drove me to say, I've, I've got to go out. And if I can accomplish what I'm accomplishing, you know, within this organization, I need to go back out and be on my own. And I think even if I can create, if I'm capable of creating, you know, a 10th of this type of output, it would be enough for me to be able to to live on and and have my family on. So that's that was kind of the impetus to get back out. But moving from corporate back out into an entrepreneur, it's a very hard process, you know, right. because especially if you've been, if you did it for a long time, because you're, you know, you're kind of set in your ways and you have to take that leap of faith. And especially if you're older, you have, you know, a family and, and children and, and you, you know, you have a lot of responsibility. So it's hard to, to break free from that. Yeah. And in the mental aspect of it too, I remember when I left corporate America, I swear it took me about six months to just reframe, reprogram my brain from this like eight to nine or nine to five work schedule, having tasks and only doing, I I put myself out at the bare minimum to to get it done. And because when you come in as an entrepreneur, then you're wearing all these different hats you, things are moving at the speed of light and you now have a team to manage and you are the brand. Yeah, no, for sure. It took me about six months to just kind of purge yeah. some of the, the the things that were not fitting. Yeah, I thought I worked really hard in corporation. I mean, there's no, when you're an entrepreneur, there's no, there's really no separate. I mean, I, I posted something earlier this year about work-life balance. I mean, there's, there is no, you know, really work-life balance. There's this, there's life and, you know, and how you're conducting yourself both in being an entrepreneur and also trying to be the best person you can be, the best dad, best husband, you know, the best father, the best friend, the best son. So, you know, you you really need to try to figure out how to figure that out for you as an individual. How do you work all that into your life? It's it's about priority, honestly. Like it's like imagine juggling all these different glass um, balls, and if you dare drop one of them, it will break. And so, for me, to I'm thinking about for me with my daughter now running my business and and saying, well, I'm taking time away from being with her, but that's the juggle. When when is priority? Am I going to allow certain days for these tasks and certain days for her? It really there is no like medium. There is no a life work life balance. There is a priority, an ability to prioritize which balls am I going to take up now and which ones am I going to put down for just thirty minutes, two days. Yeah, I mean, there's a great, there's a great, great quote building off of what you just said, and I think it was the, I think it was said by the CEO of Google. I wish I could remember the exact quote, but work is like juggling um, five glass balls, and he named each one. And basically said that, you know, the most important one is, you know, the relationships you have with, mm-hmm. with your family. And if you drop that ball and your friends, if it breaks, you'll never be able to get it back. So trying to understand the balance that you yeah. have to play is really critical. And that one's easy to drop because you get so consumed with like, I, I'm busy, so much to do. I don't have time for a Sunday phone call. And, you know, it's, it's detrimental if you don't do it. And I can see why, but it's important. It's also gra- keeps you grounded, right? When things hit the wall, when you hit your back, it's the wall. You have that 
foundation to kind of go on to strengthen you. Yeah. I was talking yesterday on the similar subject and I was reflecting on um, my relationship with my wife, Paula, and, you know, how unbelievably supportive she's been of my journey. And I can tell you without a doubt, have I not had such a supportive spouse that's willing to accept, you know, the risk tolerances and the risk Mm -hmm. profile of an entrepreneur, I would never be where I'm at today. Mm-hmm. And uh, that goes into uh, who you partner with is very crucial. Then Jim Rohn says says it. You are the sum of the five people that you do hang out with or your closest people that are like in your ear, feeding you, feeding your senses, talking to you. Like it's, it's important to have the right circle around you because they will make or break you. And for you, if I'm counting right, that you had about four businesses. If I'm counting the house painting one early on in your career. Correct about four businesses and you've gone from one to the next do you know they're successful tell us about the what how it's what's it's like building these businesses um, and renting and repeating you've got a success strategy you've got something that's working for you kelly because you're able to do it over and over again so tell us about what those strategies success tips are so i think um i look at each one as I like to use like, think of it as a sports analogy. It's kind of like the junior league, the minor leagues and the major leagues. And I've learned with each business, I've learned to be better at what I've, what I'm doing and better, a better leader, making better decisions, a better learner. So I think each one of my businesses has prepared me for my next role. The business that I have right now, Tiege Hanley. We're a skincare business for men. Mm-hmm. We really focus on helping men develop healthy skincare routines. And this business has been the most exciting and the most challenging for me. I've had to learn over the last seven, eight years, some very new skills that I didn't really know before mm-hmm. around digital marketing, which has been very, very exciting to learn. But I've also blended a lot of my old skills about operating and operating a business, um, which includes hiring and firing and finance and, and supply chain and shipping and negotiating and vendor management. Those transcend. Exactly. So, um, and, you know, I've been able to put together my creative and marketing talent that I've known. So this has been a a really exciting business and really fast paced. And, um, you know, I'm just crazy fortunate um, what I've been able to build with T. Shanley. And you don't know what else you're going to do. Um, What I like about you, Kelly, is um, I think T.G. Jake said it. Don't put a period where God puts a comma. you've had had these different businesses it wasn't like painting houses period this is all i do that's what follows my name it wasn't that i have the packaging company and period that followed her name and you've got you have range it's like an actor you know (laughs) you go from painting packaging and now skincare those are very different industries hugely different you know and i think we need to be careful as entrepreneurs when we start building because we start thinking that people that we need in our organizations are kind of need to be like us, which actually isn't the case. Mm-hmm. And it's one of the hard things. And people are so critical to our businesses. And when we start trying to project how we manage and think and feel as entrepreneurs, that we can get people that are be just like us in our business to help our business move forward. And frequently that's not the case. Not everybody thinks like entrepreneurs usually, you know, we need to understand that people need very specific, you know, kind of tasks and roles within an organization to help the organization um, get better. And so that is, um, that's something I spend a lot of time on as a, as a leader right now. 
is making sure that you have organization fit individuals. They're not just like an image of you, but they're, you know, what their skill sets are and how to hone them because you got to make sure they grow in that process, but also putting them in the right role so they thrive. Precisely. Yep. Mm. It's a challenge. Yeah. I've gotten it wrong a lot. Yeah. Uh, tell us. <laughs> yeah. I mean, you know, everybody thinks that they're good at hiring, but, um, you know, developing the right team is it's the most important thing in business and it's the hardest thing. And over the years, you, you've actually, you know, your team isn't needs to be adjusted depending on where you are in your, in your right. life of your business. Um, the people that help you get started in business and that are on your team typically aren't the ones there when you're in a growth stage of the business mm-hmm. and they aren't, you know, they typically aren't the ones there when you're trying to, you know, go from, you know, hit different plateaus in business. So it's over the years, I've brought in many of people into my organizations and, you know, and also had to exit many people from the organization or, or they, you know, they exited from the organizations. Mm -hmm. Absolutely the most difficult thing, but, you know, being an entrepreneur, you have to be well-rounded. You have to have good people skills, leadership skills, management, HR. It's it's fun. It's a challenge every day. Yeah, I, I know CEOs putting processes in place, just trying to kind of fine tune it, trying to um, systemize it, right? For, for lack of better words, trying to find a process that works to select the t- the key players or the top candidate for the position or top performer. A lot of times, it comes down to instinct, doesn't it? Yeah, it comes down to cul- it comes down to a cultural fit, a kind of a combination of um, skill set and aptitude and attitude and cultural fit we're very clear about our culture here. So, and it's not just, it's not like culture is not like having a fun office or allowing dogs to come in the office or having, you know, celebrating birthdays monthly. That's, that's not exactly what I'm talking about. What I'm talking about is a mindset about how you approach business further together is one of our cultural pillars. Have a backbone and commit is another pillar. Connected to data is another pillar. Think like an owner, hire and train the best. Mm -hmm. You know, these are type of cultural things that we try to align not only the vision of the company to, but how we think about new people within the organization and also how we bring people, train and mentor people and evaluate the performance of people. It's all based on those cultural pillars. I like to think like an owner because it's going to be easier to get buy-in. And if you have buy-in, then they're going to go out like little you. You know, go yeah. out and spread the message, get to get it out there as if it's there. It's just coming straight out of you, the owner. And culture is um, top to bottom. Absolutely. It starts from the top. You have to exemplify it, um, live it, and buy it. Tell us about the men's skincare. Why? How come you went to, to that? You know, we're, uh, men need help. You know, and um, you don't you know, say we need a lot of help. And um, like, I think, you know, they've, they've said for the last 15 years that in the beauty space that, you know, skincare for men and beauty for men is kind of like the last bastion of skincare of beauty. And so they've been they meaning the, you know, the Estee Lauders of the world and the Unilevers and P&Gs. Um, have been waiting for the market of the men's, you know, grooming market to really develop. 
um, over the last several years, there's been a lot of cultural changes, right? So there's been a lot of shift in the way that we think about ourselves and we and culturally how we think about taking care of ourselves. So most of what we talk about here is about self-care, which is a massive, it doesn't matter. I speak, we speak men over here because our customers are men, but it's a massive, it's a massive topic and it's becoming, it started around, you know, your healthcare, right. And, you know, taking care of your health and having ownership in your health and not just relying on your doctors, but it, it extends into, you know, your physical health, what you put in your body, what you put on your body, how much rest you get going to see the doctor, having healthy habits yeah. Um, are really important. And so skincare is part of that overarching environment of a man thinking about his health. And now, of course, I think we're going into, you know, adding in mental health into that mm-hmm. as well. So mental health and well-being is a big part of that umbrella of of self-care. So we are, you know, we look at ourselves as just being, you know, a very small part of trying to help men um, look and feel amazing and trying to help men be the best they can be. And we think if we can help men be feel good about themselves, we can potentially help them be good brothers and fathers and husbands and and so forth and so on. So we're just playing a very small part. You know, in the morning you get up and you take care of yourself with our skincare systems and you go to bed and you you do the same thing and and you will see an impact and and hopefully you'll feel just a little bit better and a little more prepared to go about your day or have a great date or take your your child to uh you know a baseball game whatever it is yeah. you're doing boosting confidence so what i'm what i'm hearing is your your that impact you're making is is beyond the skincare piece of it you're thinking about the whole being Correct. the whole man what makes the whole man and how can he show up yeah for That's his family it. to for his business we're just, we want to stay in our lane of skincare. The overarching umbrella is, you know, a man taking care of himself. And you mentioned hydration early on in the conversation. And, you know, that is one thing that we, we talk about. We talk about all these healthy habits. Um, and, and of course we, we do want to link them to skincare because that's our business, but that's what it's about. That's the overarching umbrella. And, you know, women have known this for a long time. Men don't really get the crib, the cliff notes on, you know, what it means to take care of yourself, right? You know, unfortunately, my father handed me a razor when it was time for me to shave for the first time. I went upstairs. I did a horrible job. And he said, you know, let's go back up there and let me show you how you do it. And I got one, you know, one official class and I was, I was done. And, you know, women have the benefit of, of, you know, their friends and their families and their mothers really trying to educate them a little bit more. And I'm not, I'm not being, you know, sexist. I'm just speaking truthfully here that men don't typically get very good lesson of the importance of, of using good facial moisturizers and face washes, et cetera, et cetera. Yeah. And why is that? Do you think? Because my brother who um, just turned 30 is now buying a moisturizer. And I was mm-hmm. like, oh, man, what did you how did you find yeah. out about that? Was it a girl? I was like, yeah, I was dating a girl and she was talking about it. And again, the source exactly. came from another woman. I was like, oh, we failed you. We failed you as sisters. <laughs> we still failed you as my mother failed you because we, you know, that's important. But we just assumed they never cared. Men never right. cared too much about it. And um it is geared like it's a billion dollar industry and it's all geared along yeah. women and makeup and, and yeah. you're getting that morning routine. 
which is the the physical aspect of it done. So what's your take? Well, I mean, outside of the U.S., I think, which is where some of this idea germinated for me, um, you know, Southeast Asia and even in in far Eastern Europe, men are like, I mean, certainly in Southeast Asia and it was driven by cultural changes there. But they, you know, their moms and, and their society really does lean into the importance of taking care of yourself and looking good. So it just it's taken us a while here in America to kind of catch up and you know men we've been kind of stubborn right we you know we we would use bar soap on on our, on our face and my grandfather actually used um the detergent comet comet i don't know if you know that i don't it's like something you clean your bathroom with i mean he oh, would wow. use it on his you know on his hair and his scalp and I mean, I think like we just, you know, we really need um, a little bit of education and, and culturally now I think it's okay for guys to start thinking about yeah. this and right. Your brother's 30. Um, there's a huge difference between these millennials and, you know, the 18 to 25 year old crowd, the 18 to 25 year old crowd, you know, are wide open, very ex- um uh, mm-hmm. acceptant of the concept of, I should put a moisturizer on or, and even as far as, you know, I should put on a concealer. If I have a blemish on my skin, if I have a, if I have a pimple and and whatever I should, you know, I should put a concealer on. And that generation is, is like wide open to that concept, you know, in their thirties, they're, they're, they're more open to it, you know, but guys, once they get in their fifties and sixties, culturally, like we weren't mm-hmm. thinking about that. We're guerrilla style. We want to be able to go out all day in the sun and, you know, go to bed without a shower you know and that that just doesn't work and for you um you're talking about your market is a younger generation different generation how do you relate typically well you know surprisingly our biggest cohorts of customers are um under 30 so we have we have just as many customers from 18 to 30 we have about four hundred thousand customers we have just as many customers from 18 to 30 as we do from 30 to 70. so we have in 40 years we have half of our customers in you know really 12 years we have the other half so we do have um very young customer base and it's a good point i i don't know how you know i have a lot of young great younger in their career uh, not necessarily age-wise but younger marketers that are really good at connecting with um today's younger male and works really well for us going back to circuit putting in the right people in place right precisely yeah it doesn't have to be you're just like you. you just need somebody who thinks differently and can relate differently to people especially your targeted audience and that that's wise right there tell us about um so i was gonna show you this because uh 40 ounce term of wow. flask and i'll have four of these a day and my husband's like where does it go how you empty and some people require more water than others. And I think I'm yeah. one of those individuals that like I'll be parched if I don't have it. And it's daily. And yeah. I feel the difference the next day. If I don't, if I have half of it, you can see it. My urine, my urine, my pee. <laughs> I can't yeah. say the word right now. Sure. It's a different color, but sure. the hydration I mean, piece of it. Yeah. And that's why I'm sure that has a lot to do with why your skin and hair look so beautiful. I mean, we, you know, we talk about water all the time, you know, I mean, it wasn't that long ago, you know, just, you know, almost like 10 years ago, I mean, like Snapple as a drink was the first kind of 
new drink that came out um, and in the teas. And now, you know, there's every type of water and everything. Mm -hmm. But even as a kid, I mean, people didn't drink water like they do now. Um, and they were drinking, you know, all these carbonated beverages full of, of things that we sugar and things that we shouldn't, shouldn't we be drinking, but hydration is like so critical. And now it just doesn't just, as you know, it doesn't just impact your collagen production and, and, and how your skin looks and your hair, but, um, you know, it's really great for your digestive system mm -hmm. and, you know, for everything, right. And for your metabolism. So I strongly suggest any men that's listening out there to make sure that they're maybe not, you know, a couple of gallons, but they're drinking at least, you know, <laughs> half gallon of water a day. Yeah. And then doing it first thing in the morning, that's one thing too, is drink hydrating first thing in the morning. And we're going to get into your morning routine in a bit. Sure. Is, yep. um, you wake up in the brain, uh, you know, you've been asleep this fog where brain is majority water. And so when you've been sleeping for six to eight hours, the first thing you ought to do is drink water, not necessarily more caffeine to dehydrate even more, but like just getting a glass of water in your system to actually kickstart the gears for lack of a better word. So let's talk about your morning routine. How do you get up, dress up and show up? Yeah. I have a very regimented morning. Um, and, you know, every day of the week is like, has a very specific plan Monday, Wednesday, and Friday, or I, I'm a work morning workout person. I know some people don't like to work out in the morning. So Monday, Wednesday, and Friday, I get up early and work out. I do actually, before I even hit the floor, I usually drink a half cup of water. You're exactly yeah. correct. I usually drink a half cup of water before, uh, as my, I mean, I'm down to counting how many sips of water I have before I go work out. And then, uh, you know, I meet with uh, a men's group very early in the morning on Tuesdays. I meet with a lifelong friend after that. This all happens before eight o'clock. I usually get to work at 830. And then on Thursdays, I usually that's the one day I usually meet with my business advisors. Mm -hmm. um, I usually have breakfast with them or meet with some other friend again, all prior to work. My morning routine is very much about waking up having a shower, doing my face care routine, yeah. um, usually in includes a face wash every single morning, um, a daytime moisturizer. I use a face exfoliating scrub twice a week. I go a little extra because I'm getting old and I'm very, I'm very tired, but I, I use an eye cream and a, and a serum on my skin. Um, I do that daily. So, and then I repeat that at night. So I brush my teeth, wash my face, use a moisturizer on at night before I go to bed. I follow the same routine seven days a week. Saturdays, I might get, you know, I, I get up to do the exact same thing. I work on Saturday. So every Saturday, I like to be at work 8.30 in the morning. I usually try to finish it at 12.30 on Saturdays if I'm lucky. And I get to spend some family time. Usually it's the list of things my mom, my wife needs me to do during the day. So mm -hmm. Sunday, little prayer time, little family time. Yeah, got to balance it out. Again, it keeps you grounded. You show up as the entire man, the whole man. You can't just be all work right. and no no play. And um, for your experience, how important it is to be consistent with that routine, right? For for the skincare piece of it, like longevity wise, you don't just wake up and it's all better. I mean, this this is years of hydrating and drinking tons and tons of water. I'm not a makeup wearing type of person either. So I avoid yeah. putting a lot of things on my face. 
Yeah. How big, how important is that? I mean, it's critical. I mean, it, you know, routines, I mean, Malcolm Gladwell talked about 10,000 hours to get proficient at anything. I mean, routines just take commitment um, and it takes, you know, it takes a long time to establish healthy routines and you have to be committed to it. I remember I actually work out with my wife those three days a week. I mentioned Monday, Wednesday, and Friday. It's fantastic time to be together and to do something and share something together. You know, first year or so, my wife was saying she was kind of disappointed. She was like, I don't, I don't see the results that I want. And I say, well, you just got to stay at it. You know, you've got to keep committed to it and you got to get into, you know, a healthy mindset about it. And eventually, you know, you do get, you get over that threshold and you get to the point where you have clearly established a routine mm-hmm. and it actually impacts your life. We talk about routine all the time because we're a subscription skincare business. Mm-hmm. So we always talk about having healthy skincare routines and we spend a lot of time shepherding a guy through his experience his initial experience with our skincare system so that they can get into a good healthy routine yeah and the routines that you know there's the skincare routine and then there's also the morning routine the other aspect you're working out first thing in the morning probably what you're feeding your senses right reading and what you're seeing first thing in the morning that prepares the mind not just the physical right because then i feel like that's that aspect of the morning routine sets the tone for the rest of the day in terms of your energy level in terms of how focused you are productivity you know this boost productivity throughout the day to help you show up better yeah, unquestionably. I mean, I actually forgot. I, I usually almost every single day I have to stretch, you know, when I get up. So I like you said, your body needs to be nourished with water. I actually am I stretch because I feel very, you know, mm-hmm. stiff. I have a stiff back and legs. So I stretch in the morning. I usually do try to do 50 push-ups every day before I leave the house. So these routines like really psychologically impact your performance during the yeah. during the day. Yeah, uh, well said. Um, tell us, how can we connect with you? Where can we find you? Yeah, please reach out to me on LinkedIn, Kelly, K-E-L-L-E-Y, Thornton, T-H-O-R-N-T-O-N. And um, if you have any question at all about business or my routines or anything that I can help you with, I'd be more than happy to answer any questions. Thank you for sharing, Kelly. We love quotes here at BMR. Um, leave us with one of your faves. Oh, boy. Okay. Um, You know, I think I think I like this quote. Um, It's not the strongest or the brightest or the fastest that are most successful. It's those that are able to adapt that ultimately are the most successful in their in their lives. I believe that's Albert Einstein that said that. Uh, excuse me, maybe it was Darwin. Of course, it was Darwin um, that talked about adaptability. So it is a strength to be able to be adaptable in your life. And I think, you know, no matter how smart you are, or strong or pretty, or how great your skin is or handsome, those that adapt are also ultimately the ones that are successful. Yeah. Well put. Well put. Mic drop. That was a good one. You're staying adaptable and, and flexible and continue on in the pursuit. Yeah, not trying to get there quicker and faster. Kelly, it's been such a pleasure. Thank you so much for your time today. Thank you. Thank you very much, Dr. Lanid. I really appreciate you having me on your show. Absolutely. All right, morning enthusiasts. That's it for today's show. Thank you for tuning in. If you love the best morning routine ever podcast, we'd love to hear from you. 
So go ahead and subscribe, rate, and give a review on iTunes or Google Play. While you're at it, tell a friend about the show. Be sure to visit bestmorningroutineever.com and our Facebook group to join the conversation, access the show notes, and discover our fantastic free bonus content. Until next time.